Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I am G2. I am here to bring you your Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and AEW Dynamite, and AEW Rampage. There is no Impact Wrestling this week, because I was not able to get in contact and watch Impact this week. However, to make up for that, I will be talking to you guys towards the end of the show. Before I talk about WWE Fastlane, I will talk about a rumor that is swirling around in the wrestling media bubble in the wrestling landscape itself. But without further ado, let's start the show. So let's start with Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw will open up with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler fighting on the stage. Now, referees would try to separate both of the ladies because they were supposed to have a match at the beginning of Raw, but we never got to that. So they will fight from the stage to the ring. Uh, Nia would dominate and beat up Shayna in the corner. Then this would lead to Raquel Rodriguez to run down to the ring. Raquel also has beef with Nia because Nia beat down Raquel a couple weeks ago. So Raquel would run to the ring, beat up on Nia, look to hit Nia with a big boot, but Raquel would accidentally hit Shayna with the big boot. Now you have the women's world champion, Rhea Ripley, make her return back to Raw after Nia put her on the shelf for two weeks. So Rhea would run down to the ring. And now you have all four women brawling in the ring. Security will come out and try to separate them. Nia, Shayna, and Raquel will be forced out of the ring by security while Rhea is in the ring and security is holding her. Rhea would destroy them and hit one of them with Riptide. Now, Rhea would get a microphone and say that now that she's done handling that business, she has other business to attend to and she would call out the Judgment Day. Only Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio would come out because Finn Balor, they would say he is uh, injured, so that's the reason why he wasn't here on Raw. And Dom is out here without his North American title. He will be coming out holding Rhea's World Women's Championship. So once Dom gets in the ring, he hands Rhea her championship. And Rhea will start reading them the riot act because she's been gone for two weeks. And there has been problems in the Judgment Day. Rhea will say that she is disappointed in Damian Priest, who she put in charge. Rhea will then list off the things that's been going down. Finn being injured, so that's the reason why he's not here. Priest not being medically cleared to wrestle Jay Uso tonight, and also Priest not being in Dominic's corner, and that led to Dominic losing the North American title to Trick Williams at NXT No Mercy, and Priest was supposed to be in Dom's corner because Rhea wanted Priest to be there. Now they have a Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso problem, and they're going after the tag team titles. Priest would tell Rhea, you aren't telling me something that I don't already know. Priest would tell Rhea that he has his championships and he has his money in the bank briefcase. Now, when Priest says this, Priest would also say that, listen, I'm not trying to start anything here, but there's someone in here that doesn't have their championship and everybody would start chanting Dom and Rhea would look over at Dom and Rhea would walk over to Dom and tell him that... You will have your rematch with Trick Williams on NXT. And it will be for that North American Championship. And if you don't win that championship, you better not come home. So this is basically a do-or-die moment for Dom. If he doesn't bring back the North American title to Judgment Day, well, Dom just might be out of Judgment Day. So with 
Rhea giving Dom this ultimatum outwalks Jay Uso. Jay, he would start getting flirtatious with Rhea and say that he wants to formally welcome Rhea back to Monday Night Raw and he says that we all missed you. And when he said that, he gives Rhea some flirtatious eyes. Dominic and Priest will see this. Priest will say that he's starting to get tired of this and he wants to handle Jay. But Dom will put his hand out to Priest and tell him, nah, I got this. So Priest, he will say, you know what? Fine, go ahead and handle it. Rhea will look at Priest and tell Priest you need to stand beside Dom. And that doesn't happen. Priest says, no, nah, he wants to be poppy. Let him do this. So Priest will leave the ring. He'll be at ringside. Uh, Rhea will leave the ring, but she wouldn't do this so easily. She would like have a look on her face, but she would still leave and still be right beside Priest at ringside as Dom's in the ring with Jay. Dom will go to look to hit Jay with a punch. Jay will duck it, and then Jay will hit Dom with a super kick. Now with Dom on the mat, Jay Uso is standing above Dom, and J.D. McDonough, he will pop out of nowhere and hit Jay Uso in the back. Now it's a two-on-one beatdown. Dom and J.D. will beat up on Jay, and you will see J.D. hoist up Jay, and Dom will start punching at Jay. Um, Dom would tell Priest to come in here and get some of this. Priest would shake his head like, all right. So Priest would start walking up the steps. He would get on the ring apron, and before he gets inside the ring, Cody Rhodes' music would hit, and Cody Rhodes would come into the ring. Cody would start helping Jay beat up on Dom and JD, and they would take both JD and Dom out of the ring. So with this happening, out walks Adam Pierce. Adam Pierce would say, this isn't happening tonight. This isn't how it's going to happen. And Adam Pierce would make the following match at Fastlane. Well, Fastlane, excuse me. It will be Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso going against the Judgment Days for the Undisputed Tag Team Championships. So that match will be made official for Fastlane. Now, next up, we'll have our first official match of the night. It will be Alpha Academy with Maxine Dupree in their corner going against Imperium's own Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci. Imperium would win this match by pinfall when Otis will look to hit a fallaway slam from the second turnbuckle but Giovanni Vinci would hold on to Otis's leg, making Otis fall off the turnbuckle, and this allowed Ludwig Kaiser to hit a running insigiri for the win. So this gives Imperium a win in the win column, and this allows Giovanni Vinci to still keep up his hold in Imperium because Imperium, more or less Gunther, sees Giovanni Vinci as a weak link, and with Ludwig Kaiser kind of being the guy like in charge of Vinci, you now get this undertone of tension between Giovanni and Kaiser. And with Giovanni helping Kaiser win the tag matchup here, this could lead to hopefully Giovanni trying to get back in the good graces of both Kaiser and Gunther. At least this is the first step of it. Now, after this, we get to our next matchup, which will be Bronson Reed going against Cedric Alexander. Bronson Reed would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Tsunami on Cedric. This was a foregone gone like conclusion. Bronson was going to beat Cedric. Cedric was able to get some licks in, but everybody knew Bronson was going to win, so that's what happened here. Now, next up, we get the contract signing between the Intercontinental Champion Gunther and Tommaso Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa would give a heartfelt speech to Gunther about saying that guys like Gunther have been given five-course meals in the WWE, 
saying that he's been given opportunity after opportunity while guys like Champa has been given roadkill and he had to continue fighting until the company actually gives him an opportunity. Champa will say that next week his family will be at ringside when he wrestles Gunther for the Intercontinental title, but Champa isn't going to be fighting for them. He's going to be fighting for the five-year-old boy that's in him that always wanted to be the Intercontinental Champion. So when he says this, Ciampa would sign the contract. Gunther would then talk and put over how he values Ciampa's reason for wanting to fight for the Intercontinental Championship. However, he is the longest reigning and dominant Intercontinental Champion in history, and he doesn't see Ciampa taking that away from him. Ciampa would interrupt Gunther and tell Gunther that if he feels that confident, they don't have to wait for next week or Fastlane. They can have the match tonight. So Gunther, he would smile and he would agree to it. He would tell Ciampa, you know what, fine, you got it. So we get the match made official for tonight in the main event, Gunther versus Ciampa for the Intercontinental title. Gunther, he would slap Ciampa across the face. Ciampa wouldn't take this. Ciampa would then like climb on top of the table and start jumping onto Gunther, start beating up on Gunther. And the brawl would eventually end with uh, Ciampa locking in the Sicilian slice on Gunther, but Gunther would have to like roll out of the ring to get out. So as of right now, Ciampa has a mental, uh, he has a mental one-upmanship on Gunther since he was able to get the Sicilian slice on Gunther. So this would put some uh, high stakes into their main event matchup later in the night. Now, Next up, we have Xavier Woods going against Ivar with Valhalla in Ivar's corner while Kofi Kingston was on commentary. Xavier would win the match by pinfall by getting Ivar in the backwoods pin for the win. After the match, Ivar would attack Xavier from behind. Kofi, he would get from the commentary and make the save. And at first, Kofi does get some hits off on Ivar and it looks like he's doing something until Ivar powers out of this. It hits a spinning heel kick to Xavier and then powerbomb Kofi on top of Xavier's body. Ivar would then go to the top turnbuckle and hit a moonsault onto the New Day. And it seems that they're trying to do something with Ivar. Since Eric's not here and Ivar had that great match with Kofi Kingston a couple weeks ago, they want to push Ivar to do something because next week Ivar and Kofi will be competing against one another in a Vikings rules matchup, which is basically an everything goes matchup. Uh, but the Vikings will have some props surrounding the ring and all that good stuff. So that's basically what that means. But yeah, with Kofi and Ivar having a good match, I believe two weeks ago, they, I think somebody in the office sees something with Ivar, and that's great. Even Kofi would put over Ivar on commentary saying that Ivar is a great wrestler. So, again, they might be wanting to do something until Eric comes back, and then properly, when Eric does come back, we might actually get a proper uh, Viking Raiders push from them. But, again, we'll have to wait and see. But next week, Kofi and Ivar in a Viking Rules matchup. Now, next up will be the World Heavyweight Champion, Seth Rollins, coming down to the ring for an in-ring interview with Michael Cole. Seth would act like his usual carefree self, and Michael Cole, he would get straight to the point and ask Seth, what is he doing? Do you know what is going to happen to you in the last man standing match with your back condition 
with Shinsuke Nakamura. So Michael is asking the hard question and asking himself, why are you doing this to yourself? Don't you care about what could basically happen to you? Seth would then drop the act and Seth would tell Michael that he needs to be in the ring. He asked Michael Cole how long he's been with the WWE. Michael Cole said 26 years. And how many times have you been away from the WWE? Michael Cole says he only missed two events out of his whole tenure in the WWE. So Seth harkens that to what he's doing. Every time he's in the ring, he feeds off the energy. He feeds off of being in the ring because wrestling has given Seth everything. Is allowed him to provide for his family, put a roof over his head. This is how he met his wife, and this is how uh, he has a kid. And he thanks pro wrestling for that. So Seth would say that he wants to go out and give everything. And if that means for him to probably drop in the ring, he'll do so, and he'll be happy with that. So that's the reason why Seth is going with this last man standing match against Nakamura at Fastlane. So when Seth says all this, a video will play of Nakamura on the Titantron, and this was all a diversion. So Nakamura would attack Seth from behind. Nakamura would then hit Seth with a Kinshasa behind the head, and then the video would play of Nakamura on the Titantron, and Nakamura would start count counting. And this is given the counting for their last match standing match at Fastlane. That's what the counting is for. So as Seth is getting close to the count of five, Seth will start to get to his feet. Nakamura, he will get a steel chair, and Nak will start attacking Seth with it. And I will say Nakamura got better with his swinging of the chair with this go around here. So he actually was hitting Seth in the back like he was supposed to. So when he does this, again, the video will play, and this time Seth gets up to the count of eight. Nakamura will then lay into more chair shots on Seth. He would then hit Seth with another Kinshasa and then set the chair up and hit Seth with a sidewalk slam on the chair. And if anybody knows what a sidewalk slam is, it's targeting your lower back. So he hits Seth's back on the chair and with Seth having problems with his back, this is going to add more pain for Seth Rollins as they move into their last man standing match at Fastlane. So when he does this, now you have Seth laid out on the mat, and Nakamura will get the microphone and start counting up to 10 himself. And when he does so, he would drop the mic, hold up the World Heavyweight Championship, because this is what we could be seeing at Fastlane, a new World Heavyweight Champion in Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, after this, the next matchup would be Tegan Knox going against one half of the Women's Tag Team Champions, Chelsea Green, with her tag partner, Piper Niven, in her corner. Tegan Knox would win this match by pinfall thanks to Natalia coming to the ring. When Tegan and Chelsea were on the top turnbuckle, Piper Niven would get on the steps and try to distract Tegan. This made Natalia run down to the ring. Tegan would then knock Chelsea off the top turnbuckle, and Tegan would then hit the Molly Go Round, then the Chinese Wizard for the win. And this gives Tegan Knox some momentum into her NXT Women's matchup with Becky Lynch next week on Monday Night Raw. Now, next up, Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre comes out to the ring. He was supposed to be on Miz TV, but he canceled that. He decided just to do this thing on his own out here. Drew would say that he doesn't owe anyone an explanation in the back for his change of attitudes. The only people that he has to owe an explanation to 
are his fans. And again, I want to pay, I want to let you guys pay close attention to this when I say this. I said this last week. Drew McIntyre is turning into Bret Hart of 1997. Bret Hart was tired of being screwed and nobody did anything about it. So Bret had to take actions into his own hands and he got tired of how the fans were fickle. They turned on him because he was basically doing everything right and they would cheer people that were doing things wrong. And in this case, Drew is doing has done everything right, but people have decided to forgive Jay Uso, a guy that did everything wrong, and people are siding with Jay, and people are now booing or getting at Drew because he's not the person making the save anymore. So Drew would say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm tired. I am not able to get in this ring and give 100% if I had to constantly save people from their own crap. I have things going on in the ring, outside of the ring, and I'm not going to do that anymore. So when Drew says all this, the Miz will come out. Miz will feel offended for Drew basically telling him to shut up last week because he was giving Drew a platform to speak his piece. And Miz said, I basically spoke your piece for you, but you just constantly shut me down. And again, Drew McIntyre, just like last week, will tell Miz to shut up. Miz would tell Drew that, you know what, you're not the Batman. You're a Two-Face because you will straddle the fence any way that it works best for you. When one thing works, that's great. But when it doesn't work for you, then you'll hop on to the other thing. And now you start seeing Drew getting upset more and more with Miz. And he tells Miz again to shut up and leave and go to the back. Miz doesn't want to hear this. And he will continue to poke the bear at Drew. So Drew would say, you know what? Time's up. Time for me and you to have a match. Miz would say, nope, not going to do so because I'm not fit to wrestle because Miz comes out here in a suit. So Miz would get off the ring apron and start walking to the back a little bit until Drew McIntyre would turn his back. Miz would come into the ring and hit Drew behind the head with the microphone. And now it seems we have a match between Drew McIntyre and The Miz. Drew McIntyre would win this match by a pinfall when Drew would look to hit the Claymore kick, but instead grab his sword. The referee would see Drew grab the sword, and the referee would then take the sword away from Drew. Drew would see the referee busy, Drew would then go over to another corner, take off the top turnbuckle padding, and smash Miz's head into it. And this would lead into Drew hitting the Future Shock DDT for the win. Now, after the match, Drew would get a microphone and say, Listen, I changed my mind. I want to apologize for my actions. And since I apologize, I'm immediately forgiven. So again... Drew McIntyre is going into Bret Hart 1997. And if you want to learn more about Bret Hart 1997, just go and type in Bret Hart 1997 and you'll see what I'm talking about here. Because that's Drew's legit character that he's going through right now. Now, going to the main event, Intercontinental Championship matchup. They're going against Tommaso Ciampa. These two guys put on a great one-on-one matchup between the two. But in the end, Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship when he would hit two power bombs, then lock Champa into a sleeper hold, and Champa would pass out. So Gunther is still your Intercontinental Champion. After the match, Ludwig Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci would run into the ring and attack Champa as Gunther would walk to the back. Now, as you see Kaiser and Giovanni beating up on Champa, a returning Johnny Gargano, he would run down to the ring to make the save. He would hit Kaiser with a springboard spear. Then he would hit Giovanni Vinci with a super kick. 
And as Raw was going off, DIY, which is Champa and Johnny Gargano, will hit their tag finisher, which is a combo running knee super kick on Giovanni Vinci. And that's how Raw would end. So it seems DIY is back. It's great because people have been wondering what's going on with Johnny Gargano. When is he coming back? So now we got that. And now this leads to hopefully a DIY tag team partnership. And hopefully we get a nice, good, long-standing partnership between the two. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. But hopefully it leads to something. That's all I do care about as a fan. But with that, that's your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. So now we go over to NXT. NXT would open up with the NXT Women's Champion, Becky Lynch, in the ring. Becky will talk about how she's not medically clear thanks to her match with Tiffany Stratton at No Mercy. Becky would give it to Tiffany for bringing her a fight. But Becky's on to the next challenger, the next uh, person wanting to get at her. So then you would get Lyra Valkyria coming out to the ring and talk about how seeing Becky on NXT was the first time she wanted to start training to become a wrestler, and that's what she did. Lyra will continue to give praise to Becky for being an inspiration to people back home in Ireland, and Lyra will say that she felt honored to stand beside Becky a couple weeks ago, but wonders what it will feel like to stand across the ring from Becky. So with that challenge being thrown out, next person to come out will be Indy Hartwell. Indy will make a surprise return to NXT. Indy will say that since Becky can travel from Mondays to Tuesdays, she might as well do the same thing. Indy would mention that she never lost the NXT Women's Championship because she had to relinquish it after being drafted from NXT to Raw. So Indy wants a shot at the championship that she never lost. Then we would get Roxanne Perez coming out. Roxanne would give it to Becky for being a fighting champion. And Roxanne wants a shot because she never got pinned to lose the championship. If you remember, Roxanne lost the championship in a ladder match at Stand and Deliver. So Becky would tell all three of the ladies that they can fight in a triple threat match later tonight and that the winner will be facing Becky at Halloween Havoc for the NXT Women's Championship. So we would get that match later in the night. But the first match that would happen would be a tag matchup. A Butch and Tyler Bate going against Gallus's Mark Coffey and Wolfgang with Joe Coffey in their corner. Tyler Bate and Butch would win this match by pinfall by hitting a combo Tyler Driver 97 on Mark Coffey for the win. Now, after the match, Joe Coffey would get in the ring and start attacking Tyler and Butch. Now you got all of Gallus beating up on Butch and Tyler Bate. This is a three-on-two beatdown until Ridge Holland would run down to the ring. And now you get a three-on-three uh, brawl. The Brutes and Tyler would get the best of Gallus and send Gallus packing and retreating. I like that we got Ridge here. I thought we would have had Ridge uh, join Tyler Bate at No Mercy when Butch went against Noam Dar and the rest of Metaphor. But since we didn't get that, I'm glad that they remember that, oh yeah, Ridge is in a stable with uh, Butch and that we do have Ridge like on speed dial. So I'm glad that Ridge was here to help out his brawling brute uh, comrade Butch and Tyler Bate as they went against Gallus right here. Now next up will be the new NXT World Champion, Ilya Dragunov, coming down to the ring. Ilya will give his mission statement because now he's a new champion. Ilya will give it to Carmelo for giving him a fight at no mercy. Ilya will say that he plans to take the NXT championships to new heights. 
then outwalks the new NXT North American champion, Trick Williams. Trick will congratulate Ilya, but he's morally out here to thank Ilya. Ilya gave Trick this new level of confidence after their match at Heatwave that Trick can go after Championship Gold, and that's the reason why Trick is now your new uh, North American champion. Now, when Trick says this, Mello would come out. Mello would tell Trick that, what are you doing congratulating Ilya? I've been telling you that you have championship material. I've been telling you to go after championships. And you could tell that Mello's kind of a little bit jealous that Trick has given praise to Ilya here. So Mello would suggest to Trick that winning and keeping a championship are two different things. This will have Trick questioning Mello, asking him, does he not believe he could beat Dominic later tonight? Mello would say that's not what he meant. Ilya would stick his two cents in and say, what do you mean by that? And throw a shot at Mello in the process by saying, he, matter of fact, it doesn't even matter what you meant by that. Because this conversation was initially between the champions. And he points at his championship and Trick's North American championship. Ilya would then take a step back and say, you know what, Mello, when you're done handling this with you and Trick, then me and you can talk. Trick would then step in and tell Mello that he knows Mello wants to get back the NXT championship, but to have faith in him as he goes against Dom. Mello again would tell Trick that he believes in him, but he needs to watch out for Dominic. That's when Dominic would come out and reinforce what Mello just told Trick, and he plans on taking back his North American championship to Mommy and the Judgment Day. Mello will tell Trick that Judgment Day is always somewhere lurking and that he will be in Trick's corner. So now we get this moment of Trick and Mello actually dapping on each other up. Dom would then take a jab at Mello and he would say that Mello is six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds, but somehow is still in Mello's shadow. Trick would fall for the bait and tell Mello that he won the championship by himself and now he can defend it by himself, and that he's going to whoop that Trick. And he says that all respectfully to Mello when he says this. So now Trick is deciding to have this match with Dom by himself, no Mello in his corner, and we'll have to wait and see how that fares for him later tonight. Now, after this gets done, we'll go later in the night backstage. Mello's walking in the back, out walks Braun Breaker. Braun walks up on Mello and say, listen, I know how you're feeling right now. You have this pent-up anger and rage in you because I was you at one point. I still am you because Braun lost the title to Melo and all the fans turned on him. And now he's saying that the fans are turning on Melo right now and that Melo needs to use that anger to destroy everybody and start off with Trick Williams. Melo would tell Braun that's not happening. He loves Trick and that he supports Trick in defending his North American Championship, Braun would then tell Mello, just think about it. So Braun would walk away. Later in the night, we would see Mello in the parking lot, and Mello would talk about how he just got off the phone with someone important, and that he has a match with Braun Breaker next week. And the person that he got off the phone with was the great John Cena. And John Cena gave him advice that he needed to hear. And with that advice, John Cena will be in Carmelo Hayes' corner when he goes against Braun Breaker next week on NXT. So now we have Melo versus Braun Breaker next week on NXT, and now we have John Cena in the corner of Melo for next week's matchup. So that goes down right here. I'll get more into that 
towards the end of my NXT uh, highlights, if you will. But on to the next thing. Triple threat match. Number one contender for the NXT Women's Championship. It'll be Indy Hartwell going against Roxanne Perez, going against Lyra Valkyria. Becky Lynch will be on commentary for this match. Lyra would win this match by pitfall thanks to Keanu James interfering. When Roxanne would hit Indy with Pop Rocks and then go for the pin, Keanu would appear and pull Roxanne out of the ring and attack her. Becky would then get up out of her chair and kick Keanu in her chest. Lyra would then get to the top turnbuckle and hit a splash on Indy to win the match. So now we have Lyra versus Becky at Halloween Havoc. So Lyra and Becky will get in the ring. They'll stare at one another. Tegan Knox will come out on the ramp and make sure everyone remembers that Becky has to first get past her before she gets to Lyra because next week on Raw, Tegan gets her NXT Women's Championship match against Becky. That was supposed to happen this week on Raw, but Becky wasn't medically cleared. So Becky has to get past Tegan Knox first before she gets to Lyra Valkyria. So you can probably expect that to happen on Raw. Becky's more than likely going to beat Tegan Knox. It's going to be a good match, but I think everybody expects Becky to beat uh, Tegan, to be completely honest with you. Later in the night, Keanu James would be interviewed and asked why she attacked Roxanne. And simply put, it's out of jealousy. Keanu would mention that Roxanne keeps on getting opportunities and Keanu gets, keeps on getting overlooked. From both of them being in the breakout tournament last year, everybody remembers only Roxanne. Both ladies are former NXT Tag Team Champions, but the only person that they remember about that is Roxanne. And Kiana is no longer going to have Roxanne overshine her. Kiana would say that if Roxanne wants to get at her, she can. But first, she has to get past a paid hired gun. And that hired gun is Asuka. And that match will happen next week. So Asuka will be going against Roxanne Perez next week. And if Roxanne gets past Asuka, Kiana has to face Roxanne Perez. Now, next matchup, Gigi Dolan going against Blair Davenport. Gigi would win the match by pinfall when Blair wanted to use a chair, but the referee would take the chair away from her. Gigi would see this and then get Blair into a roll-up to win the match. So Gigi is now one up on Blair Davenport in their rivalry that they're in. Next up is the first round of the NXT breakout tournament. We have Kalani Jordan going against Izzy Dane. Kalani Jordan would win the match by pinfall by hitting a split-legged moonsault. So now Kalani now advances in the tournament. Next matchup, tag matchup. JC Jane and Thea Hill with Duke Hudson and Andre Chase in their corner going against Lola Vice and Electra Lopez. JC and Thea would win this match by submission when Thea will lock in the Kimura lock on Electra Lopez and Electra would tap out. And it seems, by the way, Andre Chase is almost about to get manipulated by JC Jane because at the first part, Thea didn't want Duke or Andre to be in their corner, but JC was the one to tell Thea, it's going to be okay. Let them be in the corner of us. Let them be around us. And I think JC's going to try to manipulate Andre Chase, manipulate Duke. I think she's going to start with Duke first before she gets to Andre to make, well, Andre University or Chase U fall under JC's little spell that she has over Thea. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Again, we're still in the beginning stages of this new story with Thea following JC and trying to become a grown woman. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But right now, it seems that JC is trying to 
manipulate everything more likely towards her favor. Now, we go over to the main event for the NXT North American Championship. It will have Trick Williams defending his championship against Dominic Mysterio, who will have Rhea Ripley in his corner. But as the match will go on, Finn Balor and Damian Priest will come down to the ring to watch the match as well. Now, you know what usually happens in a Judgment Day matchup. There are shenanigans. Towards the end of the match, uh, Judgment Day would interfere. Um, Rhea Ripley, she would get on the apron, distract the referee, out pops J.D. McDonough. He tries to get involved, but Trick Williams will handle J.D. McDonough. You would then see Damian Priest slide over the Money in the Bank briefcase to Dominic, and Dominic would grab the briefcase. The referee would see this. The referee would take the Money in the Bank briefcase away from Dominic, and when he does this, the ref misses Finn Balor getting on the ring apron and hitting Trick Williams in the head with the tag team title. So this would drop Trick Williams. Dominic would go to the top turnbuckle and then hit a frog splash onto Trick Williams to now become the new NXT North American Champion. So Dom is now a two-time NXT North American Champion. He won the championship the exact same way that he did when he beat Wesley to become the NXT Champion the first time. So again, Judgment Day is holding gold. And remember, in Judgment Day is holding gold. Um... I would like to see how we're going to deal with that next week on NXT, to be honest. Because Trick Williams, he's going to say something. Melo's going to, probably going to say something to Trick. And Ilya's probably going to say something to Trick next week. Again, everything is going, I feel, is going to revolve around Trick and how he feels. And then that's going to lean over into Trick Williams and Melo next week. Especially with a big match that Melo has to deal with, with Braun Breaker. And especially with John Cena being in Melo's corner. Everything's going to fall in place and we're going to see how that relationship uh, goes with Melo and Trick because Melo probably going to warn him. I told you, winning the title and keeping the titles two separate thing. And I told you to let me be in your corner against Dom because Judgment Day is going to be around. So next week, I suspect a lot of I told you shows from Melo to Trick. And again, that's going to put a strain on their relationship. Now, with that out of the way, before I get out of my uh, NXT and go over to AEW, I want to say this. After NXT was over, Paul Heyman, he would show up on screen and he would say that he will be in the corner of Braun Breaker. Since John Cena likes to get in the business of the bloodline business, he feels that it's in his best interest and he's doing this as a way to kind of get at John because he's now gotten the authority from the tribal chief, Roman Reigns. So Paul will be in the corner of Braun Breaker as John will be in the corner of Mello next week. And I would like to say, where was all of this main roster support when NXT was super indie and being the number one product of WWE during its biggest, like, the biggest time that NXT was, the big dogs of WWE, literally from 2015 to 2020. Where was all the main roster stars? Where were they? Because at that time, we had NXT killing it, and everybody was talking about NXT. Nobody was talking about the main roster, stuff like that. NXT was killing it from the Undisputed Era to the Malachi Blacks, or Aleister Black at the time, um, to Velveteen Dream, to all the people that would go in and out, that would go from NXT, they got signed, and then go up to the main roster, and then had a career that didn't really match much in the main roster, unless you were a certain select few people. But... 
where was all this main roster stuff? Like, dude, just imagine at the time in 2015, Seth Rollins coming back to NXT during that time and probably having a program with a Kevin Owens who just got there or having a program with a Samoa Joe down there or having a program with some of the other rising stars down there in NXT at that time. That could have put NXT further on the map or a Roman Reigns whenever he was getting booed out of the building when he was still being forced down people's throat as the good guy. Imagine him going down to NXT. That could have probably turned his favor in a lot of ways by helping up some of the younger NXT guys down there. Or even a Brock Lesnar when he was just destroying people. Who wouldn't have loved to see a Brock Lesnar destroy people down there in NXT? You would have gotten certain people try to at least have some great matches with Brock down there in NXT. But come on. You got all these main roster people coming to NXT lately. You've had John Cena. You had the Viking Raiders. You had a Dolph Ziggler. You had a Robert Roode. You had a New Day. You got a John Cena now coming down there. You got a Cody coming down there next week. You have Asuka coming back down there. You have Becky here. You have the Judgment Day and Dom, literally the hottest faction right now in WWE, down there in NXT helping out the younger talent. You mean to tell me we couldn't get that main roster feel? Whenever Undisputed was killing it down there, are we going to have some main roster guys coming down there to do work? You mean to tell me we're going to have some main roster people go over to NXT UK whenever NXT UK was just starting to get itself rise up? I'm just saying, dude, it's so weird, and I'm not saying it in a jealousy-type point. I'm glad that all the stars are going down to NXT right now, especially with NXT getting out of that whole 2.0 situation. It's been a whole year since they literally decided just to go back to regular NXT. And I'm starting to feel that on these big main roster, well, main shows like the premium live events that NXT shows, they give off that black and gold era of the black and gold action that black and gold, whatever it was super indie used to feel because now the premium live events are something that you must see because everything from the top of the card to the bottom of the card is straight fire. The only thing that you're missing technically in a way to, if someone wants to compare the two, is literally the super indie names at the time. Because that's the only thing that Black and Gold era has on this era, is that it was super indie that everybody on basically the NXT card at that time, you knew because of their independent uh, stature, their time on the independence. And now you, they get to shine on a brighter stage of the WWE platform, but under the NXT umbrella. Now, with this era, you don't got too many independent, like, super mega guys on these, in like, NXT cards. It's basically NXT guys and gals, if they had an independent run, they were, like, regional, and only the people that know regional will know these people. Or they're, they're people that people don't know like that. They're college athletes, or they're second-generation uh, athletes that come into NXT. You know what I'm talking about. They're not the super indie people. But they're still able to pull on one hell of a card, as you can already see from NXT uh, No Mercy that they had this week. I'm just saying I would have loved for the super indie version of NXT when it was black and gold to have main roster stars coming down the way that main roster stars are coming down right now in NXT. But again, I'm happy for the stars that are in NXT right now getting the shine, getting the attention from the main roster people to look into NXT because, again, NXT right now is cooking. It's cooking on all fronts from their uh, NXT championship to the North American to the women's championship to the tag team 
championships. Everything in NXT is literally cooking, and it's good right now in NXT. And now just adding the main event uh, or main roster talent down into NXT, it just adds another yo must-see element to NXT that I would say you want to see. But again, that was just my little two cents on the whole fact that NXT right now is getting all these main roster stars and the NXT of black and gold when it was super indie didn't get that like love and affection from the main roster uh, talent coming down there. That's all I got to say about that. So with that, that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now we move over to AEW Dynamite and the first thing to note they would announce on Dynamite that next week, Swerve Strickland will be going against Brian Danielson for the normal contendership for the TNT Championship, as well as the AEW Women's Championship will be defended when Hukaro Shida will go against the champion, Soraya. And all this will happen on next week's special edition of Dynamite, which will happen on a Tuesday, which will go head-to-head with NXT. Now, with that out the way, this is the fourth anniversary edition of Dynamite, so we will start off with an explosive uh, international championship matchup with Ray Phoenix with Pentagon and Alex Abrahantes in his corner going against Nick Jackson, who has his brother Matt Jackson in his corner. Ray Phoenix would retain his championship by pinfall when Phoenix would look to hit the Fire Thunder Driver on Nick, but Nick would reverse it into a pin, but Phoenix would counter that pin into his own pin for the win. And as I said earlier, this was an explosive way to start off the fourth anniversary episode of Dynamite. Nick Jackson and Ray Phoenix, they always have great chemistry. And in this match particularly, Nick got a lot of offense, giving everyone a look at what Nick Jackson could look like if he was a singles competitor. So it's real funny to me. Ray Phoenix and Nick Jackson are both like the high flyers of their respective tag team brother groups. And out of the tag team groups, you see Ray Phoenix and Penta having their own singles career. Um, In the Nick Jackson and Matt Jackson dynamic of the Young Bucks, people are more clamming to see Nick Jackson go into a singles career and not Matt Jackson. They see Matt Jackson as exclusively a um, tag team wrestler, but people outside of AEW, like the fan base, they would love to see Nick Jackson be a singles competitor. So I find that real interesting. I don't know if AEW or even the Young Bucks want to play into that at one point towards, like, in this career that they do have. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But this match really gave people a close insight of what Nick Jackson will look like if he was a singles competitor and he did hang with Ray Phoenix. So with this, Ray Phoenix still being international champion, Ray now has to defend his championship against Jon Moxley on next Tuesday edition of Dynamite. Now, next up, we will have Griff Garrison going against a returning Warlow. Warlow would win this match by absolute devastation. Warlow would powerbomb Griff Garrison five times, and it's not like the powerbomb symphony. You know how Warlow hits him, and he like stalls to hit another powerbomb? No. Warlow would hit one powerbomb. Then he'll grab Griff again, and he'll just slam him again with another powerbomb. And he does this five times, and those five times when he powerbombed Griff, it doesn't look like he is waiting for Griff to like hold himself up in position or nothing though. Warlow just absolutely lifts him up, drop him. So this is showing you a new vicious side of Warlow. Even when Warlow made his entrance, he didn't do the whole posturing that he used to do, like get on the apron, not apron, the ring stage and like jump up and down and like pop his pecs. No, Warlow just like angrily stomped his feet down to the ring. So Warlow had a mission to set out here to let people know who he is. 
and he accomplished that. And after the match was called, Warlow would leave through the crowd. So again, we're going to see a new side of Warlow, and I believe everybody is going to love this because everybody's been asking, where's Warlow for the past couple months? So with Warlow now being back, again, we get to see a new side of Warlow. Now next up, we get the Trios Championship match. It'll be the Acclaim and Daddy Ass going against the Butcher, the Blade, and Kip Sabian. The Acclaim would retain their championships by pinfall by hitting the KRS-One on Kip Sabian to retain their titles. There you go. Next up, we will have the Guns and Juice Robinson coming down to the ring. They will call out MJF for what they believe he did to Jay White last week. For people that didn't watch AEW Dynamite last week, at the end of Dynamite, because at the earlier uh, mention of last week's episode, MJF and Jay White, they had their little talk in the middle of the ring. So when Dynamite was about to end, you saw Jay White get attacked backstage by a group of guys wearing a black mask. But one of them had the MJF devil mask on. So that's why Juice and the Guns believe it's MJF. So they say that MJF is afraid of Jay. That's the reason why he attacked Jay White last week. So again, they call MJF out. Now your AEW World Champion MJF, he will come out on the ramp. And the first thing he will start doing is immediately name calling both the Guns and Juice Robinson. Calling the Guns the ass boys and Juice Robinson a talentless taint. He will then get directly into business, and MGF would say that he has done a lot of despicable things in his life, more particularly in AEW since he's been here, and he would start listing them off, throwing Chris Jericho off of a cage like near his death, giving Cody Rhodes 10 lashes, giving children dodgeball-related injuries, and MGF's personal favorite, almost getting AEW kicked off of television for calling Tony Khan an effing mark. MGF would say he takes ownership of what he does, but this one, this ain't it. MGF would say, though, that if they don't believe him, then they can fight it. So, MGF would get in the ring, and that's where you see the guns and juice leave the ring, only to allow Jay White to sneak attack MGF from behind with a Blade Runner. Now, MGF is laid out. Jay White would hold the AEW World Championship over a prone MGF body. Then he will leave the ring. Now, Jay and Bullet Club Gold are... On the stage, Jay will throw out the challenge to Max at full gear for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship. MJF would accept. So we have that match officially made for full gear for the AEW World Championship. Jay White next week, he has to go against Hangman Page. And that's going to be interesting because Jay White and Hangman Page, they don't like one another. And they have a type of beef that they've been having since their time in New Japan, and even when Jay White came over here as the IWGP World Champion last year at Forbidden Door. So to see Jay White and Hangman just get this one-off, is going to be a good match next week. Now, next up, tag team matchup. Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega going against Kyle Fletcher and Konosuke Takeshita. Sammy Guevara was supposed to be in this match, but he was not medically cleared, so that's the reason why Kyle Fletcher took Sammy's place. Don Callis will be on commentary for this matchup here. However, Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega would win this match by pinfall. When Chris hitting a code breaker on Kyle Fletcher, then Kenny would finish Kyle Fletcher off with a one-winged angel for the win. Now, after the match, Kenny Omega and Chris will look at Don Callis standing on the ramp. But when they turned around, they would find Powerhouse Hobbs standing and Powerhouse would hit Kenny and Chris with a double clothesline. Hobbs would start destroying Kenny, Chris, throwing Chris... Uh, into the ropes for a spine buster, then throwing Kenny outside of the ring and into uh, the crowd. 
Kanosuke Takeshita will start beating up on Chris. Then you will see uh, Takeshita and Hobbs tape Kenny to the ropes. You will see them hit Chris with a chair. Hobbs will then go to hit Kenny with a chair, but Don Callis, he will ask for the chair, and Hobbs will give it to him. Don would then hit Kenny right in the head with the chair, and this would lay Kenny out. So in, so now it seems that Powerhouse Hobbs has now aligned himself with the Don Callis family. And I'm not mad at this, because again, Don Callis is building up his own roster of future talents to really like build up. You got Kanosuke Takeshita, who's a great young athlete. You got Will Ospreay in there. Again, one of the best wrestlers out here right now. You got Sammy Guevara, a guy within another couple years, he'll be one of the top guys in all of professional wrestling, in my personal opinion, if they build him up right and if he gains some muscle mass. Because Sammy Guevara just got a real punchable face and he has a punchable type attitude the way he comes off. And even when he's a good guy, as long as he's not like around some uh, person, I feel that he could pull off the still lovable like attitude, but still the punchable stylistic of a face or an attitude that certain people have, even when they're good guys, like, man, he is a douche, but boy, you just love him, like that type of deal, same thing like an MGF, because again, MGF, he has that, Sammy Guevara, he has that, but MGF, you just know he's a couple of notches above Sammy, so again, in another couple of years, Sammy, he could be one of those top guys in, like, the wrestling business, and now with Powerhouse Hobbs joining the Don Callis family, you can just feel that Hobbs is going to be put in a position to win, hopefully, because now Hobbs is with the Don Callis family, and Don Callis family are going up, and hopefully Hobbs gets to ride that wave and also just bring his force and element into the Don Callis family, and his first test technically will be next week, because Hobbs will be going against Chris Jericho, so we'll see what happens there. Next up, we will have Sky Blue going against Tony Storm. Tony Storm would win this match by pinfall when Tony would hit her hip attack on Sky Blue, and then hit the Storm Zero to win the match. Now, two things to note. One, Tony Storm, she's doing a great work with her timeless uh, character, this character that feels like she's uh, in the 1940s, 1950s, that whole era deal, and you can just see in the way that she changed her whole uh, attire from her ring gear that used to be leather, now it just seems that it's the old... Uh, old women's wrestling type gear that she has on and now with the makeup smeared from her lipstick. I mean, Tony Storm is good doing great character work. And if anybody saw what Sky Blue is doing, Sky Blue, you start seeing she's starting to feel the effects of the House of Black, Black Mist. Because now you start seeing like the little black undertones under her eyes. So now you can start seeing that Sky Blue might go to the House of Black, maybe. Because if you anybody remembers, when Malachi Black sprayed the black mist into Julie Hart's face, it started slowly. You started seeing little pieces of Julie Hart started to fade away from her time with the varsity blondes, from her attire to her uh, makeup and all this. Sky Blue, she's at the first step. You start seeing the black undertones underneath her eye. I'm pretty sure her attitude is going to start morphing next but again i want everybody to keep up and look at sky blue from week to week to see how this whole thing starts morphing because i guarantee you she's more than likely going to be joining the house of black next along with julia hart now we get to the main event segment the thing that everybody wanted to know we have adam copeland the rated r superstar 
coming down to the ring to make his mission statement. Adam would say that he is happy to be here at AEW. There are so many things that he would love to do, like become the AEW World Champion. And many people that he would love to face, like for first-time matches. He would start naming opponents like John Moxley, Kenny Omega, Miro, Powerhouse Hobb, Jay White, Juice Robinson, and plenty of other guys. Uh, this is so brand new to Adam and refreshing, but the main reason he is here is because of Christian Cage. Adam talks about how he spoke with his daughters and they told him to go have fun with Uncle Jay. So that's why Adam is here. So Adam will call Christian to the ring so he could talk to him. When Christian comes out, he's still holding the TNT title. He would get in the ring and Adam Copeland would speak to his best friend, Christian. For 40 years, you and I have been best friends. Before we were in this industry, but it was this industry that made us realize we were going to be best friends for life. And I, I know what you're thinking. Why did I do what I did at Wrestle Dream? Why did I smash Nick Wayne? Why did I throw a chair in Luchasaurus's face and spear him? Why did I do those things? Because I see you standing out here just like this. I see your face all pursed up, looking more like a than usual. And even though I know that about you, I still love you. That's never gonna go away, okay? But I saw you standing over Sting. Sting. Sting! A guy whose poster you took to the barber and put it on the mirror so that she would cut your hair the same way as his. You had the box top with the lousy rat tail. I was Lex Luger. That was us. And I see you standing over Sting. A man who has entertained people for over four decades. A man who has caused people to feel for four decades. A man, my wife's grandparents couldn't speak English, they're Polish, but guess what? They loved Sting. So I can't stand here and watch you smash him with a concerto. So that's why I did what I did Sunday. But I also did it because I know, and I'm speaking from experience here, that Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne are gonna drop you like a bad habit as soon as they've sucked all the information out of your brain. And you're so egotistical, you won't see it. I know you won't see it. But Jay, man, I am here. I am here because it's time. It's time. For the first time since 2011, for the first time properly in over 20 years. It's time for you and I to team together again. To face a team like FTR. To face a team like the Young Bucks. To show an entire generation of fans why we are inarguably one of the greatest tag teams of all time. So I am out here hat in hand and I am asking you, let's do it. Let's end our careers together as a team. Let's show them all what we can do. So Adam Copeland being Christian's friend of 40 years, what do you think Christian said to his best friend 
either Adam just laid everything out to him, saying that Nick Wayne's and Luchasaurus are going to turn on you. You won't know it. You won't know what's coming. I can allow you to do it to Sting because Sting was a mentor and an idol to myself and you when we were growing up. I want to reform the tag team properly and show everybody that we are arguably the greatest tag team in the world. That's the reason why I'm here. What do you think Christian told his best friend, Adam? After saying all that, what do you think he told him? Well, you won't have to wait too long. Christian gave Adam Copeland, his best friend, the most Christian cage answer you can think of. Go fuck yourself. Now, I want to make that very clear. Christian Cage just told his best friend of 40 years, go F yourself. TNT did mute that. TBS did mute that. However, the internet's the internet. They were able to find it uncensored. So I decided to put the uncensored in so you can get the full impact of what Christian told his best friend of 40 years. That's insane. So Christian says this. Christian leaves the ring. Adam Copeland is stunned. Christian will get up the ramp and then he will be surrounded by Luchasaurus and Nick Wayne. And that's how AEW Dynamite will end because Adam Copeland will be making his in-ring debut next week on Tuesday against Luchasaurus. That's was that was a shocking moment because you already know Christian is a ego maniacal maniac. He's a narcissist. He's always been this way. But for him to just say point blank, go F yourself to your friend, that just took it to another level. But you should expect that from Christian Cage. And also, I like how Edge did throw in the fact when he was talking to Christian Cage about saying, trust me, I know from experience, Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus are just going to suck the information out of you and they're going to drop you like a bad habit. And Edge is alluding to last year with the Judgment Day when he took Rhea and Damian Priest out of obscurity and basically led them onto this path that they're on right now. So I like he how he was even able to hint at his past in WWE with that with Christian Cage. But the difference is with this, Christian Cage, he's been doing this for some time now. He did this when Edge was doing this whole deal with the Judgment Day. Christian Cage had Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy here in AEW. And even some years past, I just started to watch uh, Impact Wrestling's two-hour time history of Christian's coalition. For people that don't know that or weren't watching TNA at the time or Impact Wrestling as is now known, um, Christian, he was in TNA and he had Tomko, who was his former bodyguard in WWE. He brought him over to uh, TNA a couple months or I believe a year after he got there. And then he aligned himself with AJ Styles. AJ Styles was a great wrestler even back then, but he decided to play the jokey but of the jokes type of guy with Christian. He was the laughing stock guy in that little group that Christian Tomko and AJ had. And Christian was able to manipulate and make puppets out of AJ and Tomko, even in uh, Impact. So Christian, he has a whole history of manipulating people to do whatever he wants. I suggest you guys go check it out. Again, it's two hours, but you'll get to see how Christian, even now, has been manipulating people back then. I just think now he just got more wiser and more saltier and more seasoned on how to manipulate and bring another fresh dynamic to his game of what he's doing with Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus. But Christian, he's always been a manipulator. So I like that Impact put that time history out for people to get more of that whole narcissistic way of Christian.
So again, that just me nerding out here. But Christian Cage, Adam Copeland, you know what's going to happen at some point. I can't wait to see it. The fans are can't wait to see it. And inevitably, we're going to get Christian and Adam Copeland back together as a tag team before their run in AEW is over with. So again, seeing how all this is going to play out to inevitably them reforming as a tag team is going to be great. I liked how they finished AEW Dynamite. And uh, yeah, that's how I'm finishing it. So with that, that's your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we head over to SmackDown, and the first thing to note, they would have some announcements. Next week will be the season premiere of SmackDown, so on next week's episode, we will get the return of Pretty Deadly when they will be facing the Brawling Brutes' uh, Butch and Ridge. Also, Triple H will make a special appearance on SmackDown, as well as the WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion, Roman Reigns. He will be showing up on SmackDown, and he will have some things to say because on this episode of SmackDown, you are going to hear about Rhea Ripley and the Judgment Day basically showing up and trying to uh, pull rank here. But before that happened, we had LA Knight coming to the ring and he cuts a promo. And before Knight could say anything, Paul Heyman will come out with Sozakoa and Jimmy Uso. Paul will say that he has an eye for talent. He's always had one and self-admittedly, he's always been able to scout the next big thing. And he sees that LA Knight is that. Paul will continue to kiss up tonight. Paul would tell Knight that he needs to reconsider teaming with John Cena before he isn't the next big thing in this business. LA Knight would tell Paul that he doesn't buy any of that crap that he was spewing. Jimmy Uso would then take the mic away from Paul and tell LA Knight that he is tired of hearing from him and that he isn't going to make it to Fastlane. So you would get Sosako and Jimmy Uso surrounded in the ring and it looks as LA Knight is surrounded but John Cena would run down to the ring to even out the odds. So Paul would tell Solo and Jimmy to get off the apron. They do so, but LA Knight would throw out the challenge to Jimmy Uso for a match later in the night. Jimmy Uso would accept, so we have our main event match set for SmackDown. Now, I mentioned the Judgment Day being on SmackDown. They would arrive. Um, you'll see Solo and Paul and Jimmy walk into the Bloodlines locker room, but when they get inside their locker room, the Judgment Day would be in there, and they seem that they're cozied up. On the Bloodlines furniture. So we go to commercial break. We come back. And now we have a stare down. We have the Judgment Day staring down. With Solo and Jimmy. Rhea would tell everybody to leave. So you would see the Judgment Day start leaving the locker room. Paul would tell Jimmy that it's okay. Jimmy will leave. Paul will have to walk over to Solo. And say it's alright I got this. Solo will leave. So now we get Paul Heyman and Rhea Ripley both in that locker room just by themselves and they begin to have a chat now later in the night we would find out that the chat is that Rhea Ripley has a plan made in place for the Judgment Day basically to align themselves with the Bloodline since they have a common enemy of well LA Knight John Cena and potentially Cody Rhodes and Jay Uso Paul Heyman will say I agree with everything that you said and I like that plan but I have to call my tribal chief to actually put this plan in play. Rhea Ripley, she will start trying to get Boston up and say, no, you are going to make this plan in play without calling Roman Reigns. Paula said, that's not happening. I have to call my tribal chief. So Rhea would pull the ultimate power play and tell Paul to acknowledge her. Paul would look at Rhea, he would look around, and he would tell Rhea that's not the smartest move to say that, especially in this locker room, and that you need to relax. Rhea would say, 
you're going to acknowledge me just like Jey Uso did on Monday Night Raw. So, again, Paul would tell Rhea, listen, I'm going to call my tribal chief and I want to see if this plan can be made in action. Rhea, she would ultimately say, you know what, you have my permission to call and get that play be put in plan. So we have to find out later tonight if that play gets put into plan. Now, I did like how Rhea Ripley tried to boss up on Paul Heyman here. Um, it's something that we're going to see more of because Rhea is kind of like the Roman Reigns of the bloodline as people already are starting to see with the Judgment Day pulling out of the uh, bloodlines playbook of their situation last year with everything from everybody playing different positions. As I've stated, Rhea, Roman, uh, Damian Priest, he's the Jey Uso, Finn Balor, he's the Jimmy Uso, JD McDonough, he is the Sami Zayn, while Dominic Mysterio, he's basically the Paul Heyman of the group, but with lesser power, if you will. So again, it's going to be interesting to see what Roman Reigns has to say about this next week. But, anywho, after this, we'll get to our first official match of the night. It'll be Charlotte Flair and Asuka going against Damage Controls, Bayley and the WWE Women's Champion, Io Sky with Dakota Kai in her corner. Charlotte and Asuka would win this match by pinfall when Charlotte would hit Bayley with the natural selection. Now, towards the end of the match, Charlotte would accidentally kick Asuka in the face with a big boot as Asuka was holding Bailey next to the ropes. Bailey would also knock her tag partner Eel off the apron when Charlotte would push Bailey into Eel. So now we're going to get some. We're already starting to see some uh, friction and damage control with Bailey always putting Eel in certain predicaments. Eel's not liking this, so I can see uh, Eel having problems with Bailey next week on SmackDown. Also, Asuka, she didn't like getting kicked in the face, but this is building momentum into the triple threat match that we're going to have at Fastlane with Io, Asuka, and Charlotte all fighting for the WWE Women's uh, Championship. So that kind of had to be put in place there just to show that there's some friction there. But other than that, solid tag match of the start off uh, SmackDown too, because they gave the women a lot of time and the fans enjoyed it. Now, next up, we have Bobby Lashley with the Street Profits in his corner going against Rey Mysterio, who have the LWO in his corner. Bobby Lashley would win this match by pinfall when Bobby would throw Santos Escobar into the Timeskeeper's area. Then shenanigans would ensue outside of the ring. You would see Bobby Lashley and Rey Mysterio get back in the ring. Rey would knock Bobby to his back. Rey would look to go to the top turnbuckle, but the Street Profits would distract Rey, Joaquin Wilde, and... Toro Cruz would try to get at the profits, but they would get handled. Cruz would get his head thrown directly into the steel steps on the side. And Joaquin Wilde, he'll be hit with a pop-up German suplex on the outside of the floor, which sounded like it hurt because you heard the thud on that. Ray would see all this. He would jump off the apron onto the profits, knocking them to the floor. When Ray got back in the ring, Bobby Lashley would hit Ray with the spear and win the match by a spear. Now... Later in the night, we would find out that both Wild and Cruz would not be able to compete at Fastlane in the six-man tag match. So Ray would tell Santos that he has to make a phone call to find their third man. So right now, we have no idea who the mystery person will be. I have my guess, and I think the rest of the internet all guess the exact same person, but I'll get to my guess when I talk about Fastlane and give my predictions. Now, next up, we will have Austin Theory with Grayson Waller going against Dragon Lee. Dragon Lee would win this match by pinfall thanks to Cameron Grimes 
getting himself involved when Grayson Waller will continue to interfere in this match since Theory is Grayson Waller's boy. Um, Grayson Waller would get thrown into the ring post by Cameron Grimes when Cameron would appear from the crowd. Theory would have Dragon Lee on his shoulders looking to hit the A-Town down, but Theory would see Grimes and Dragon Lee would take this time to get off of Theory's shoulders and get Theory in a roll-up to win the match. So Dragon Lee got his first match uh, win on the main roster against Austin Theory on SmackDown. Austin Theory, uh, Ace Austin, they had a great match. Uh, they gave them a lot of time here too. So I'm glad the, uh, the main roster people were able to see Dragon Lee compete. They got to see him compete last week against Dominic Mysterio. And they got to see him this week compete against Austin Theory. And it seems like NXT stars are starting to get incorporated on the main roster. And I like this because now we're just going to start seeing NXT people start moving from place to place. Even though they might not get called up or drafted, if you will. It at least gives the main roster or the main audience viewing people that don't watch NXT an idea of who these people are and why you should be watching NXT. And I like that they're doing that here with Dragon Lee. And sometimes they bring up uh, other NXT talent to get people's eyes focused on them. And I like that. They're moving this way with the WWE and NXT, the way that they are presenting NXT uh, wrestlers on the main roster from time to time. Now, we will go over into our main event. Jimmy Uso with Paul Heyman in his corner going against LA Knight. LA Knight would win the match by disqualification. Win Solo would attack Knight from behind. After the match, John Cena would run down to the ring to make the save and even out the odds. Jimmy and Solo would leave the ring. Now you have the Judgment Day coming down to the ring. Paul Heyman and Rhea Ripley would see each other. Paul will shake Rhea's hands and tell her that it has been official. So now Knight and John are staring down Jimmy Uso, Solskoa, and the rest of Judgment Day until Jay Uso and Cody Rhodes would run down to the ring. Now at this moment, it's four on six until Paul Heyman would pull Solskoa off of the ring apron. And now you have four on five and a brawl would happen with everyone. Um, JD McDonough would get the worst of this brawl. He would get the worst of the beating because he would eat a BFT from LA Knight, a super kick from Jey Uso, a five knuckle shuffle and an attitude adjustment from John Cena. And then finally a crossroads from Cody Rhodes. And they will leave JD McDonough laid out in the middle of the ring while the rest of the bad guys are either on their butts or... They're standing up and they're just looking furious at the good guy standing in the middle of the ring. And that's how SmackDown will end with this being the last SmackDown going into Fastlane. So you see uh, Jay Uso and Cody, they have momentum going into their matchup. And LA Knight and John Cena have momentum going into their matchup at Fastlane. Now, I would like to mention Fastlane will be the first time Jimmy and Jay Uso or separated from each other, and they're both working tag team matches. So I like how they are still keeping the Usos technically in tag team formations, and they're doing it on a pay-per-view card, but just separately in uh, different matches. They're not going against one another. You know that match is going to happen between Jay and Jimmy at some point, but it's not happening right now. And I think they're trying to really keep those two apart until... Well, until of WrestleMania, because Jay and Jimmy, they want to have that WrestleMania match, brother versus brother. So I can expect them to constantly keep them separated until uh, that match happens at Mania. But again, I like how they're doing this right now with the tag teams.
uh, matches with the Uso still being a part of a tag team, but just in separate matches. But anyway, that's my nerd I'm out of here. That's how SmackDown will end. So that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And now we move over into AEW Rampage. We'll start off with the eight-man tag match. The Hardys and the Best Friends going against 2.0, Jake Hager, and Diego Garcia. And they will have Anna Jay in their corner. The Hardys and the Best Friends would win this match by pinfall after Diego Garcia would look to lock in a sharpshooter on Matt Hardy. But Matt would kick Diego Garcia into Matt Lee. And Matt Lee would bump Anna Jay off the apron and Anna would knock herself on the floor. Now, Daniel Garcia would be shocked seeing Anna on the floor, and this allowed Matt Hardy to hit Daniel Garcia with a twist of fate. Trip Redder would then hit Daniel with a Yoshi Tonic, and then Jeff would finish it off with a Swanton Bomb to cover Daniel Garcia for the win. Now, later in the night, we would have a backstage interview with 2.0, Jake Hager, Daniel Garcia, and Anna Jay. Daniel Garcia admits that he was fighting basically by himself in the closing end of this match. That's the reason why they lost, or more specifically, he lost. Matt Lee would take offense to this, but you will have to hear from Cool Hand Ange, and he tries to call, calm everybody down. He tells them, listen, when we stepped away from Jericho Appreciation Society, we stepped as a family, so we lost as a family. We're going to take Anna Jay to the hospital as a family. We got to get ourselves together. We got to regroup, all right? So as everybody's leaving, you will see Matt Lee look at Dale Garcia. Dale Garcia tells Matt Lee, you don't got to do that to me. Then Jake Hager, he will look at Dale Garcia, and then he will walk away. So it seems Dale Garcia is about to be the black sheep and kind of get pushed out of this group too, because Dale Garcia is looking to be the star, because there was a moment in the match where Dale Garcia and Jeff Hardy would just do their trading dances with one another, and then they'll at one point do the dances towards each other, and the fans really ate it up. And Matt Lee feels that Dan Garcia is being uh, too content with just doing the dancing instead of wrestling. So we'll have to wait and see how that will continue in this whole uh, group system with 2.0, Jake Hager, Dan Garcia, and Anna J. And I have a feeling Dan Garcia will be kicked out of that. Now next up, we have uh, Willie Yuta and Claudio Castagnoli going against two local guys. Claudio and Yuta would win the match by pinfall with... Yuta and Claudio hitting a assisted body splash for the win. No more needs to be said about this. Fatal 4-Win matchup, and it's the number one contenders match for the Ring of Honor Championship. You have Penta, you have Commander, you have Johnny TV, and you have Lindsay Dorado. Commander would win the match by pinfall, hitting a 450 splash after walking the ropes on Lindsay Dorado to win. So on AEW Collision, you will have Eddie Kingston defending the Ring of Honor Championship against Commander. Now we go to our main event, Chris Stanlander and Hukaru Shida going against Nyla Rose and Marina Shafir. Uh, Chris Stanlander and Hukaru Shida would win the match by pinfall when Hukaru Shida would hit Marina Shafir with Soraya's finishing move. I want to say they call it the nightcap, but I call it the rampage, and I think they still should call it the rampage because it would have paid a nice little tribute to her old finishing move name in WWE, and also it's the AEW uh, name of the show that Hukaru Shida's on right now, Rampage, so I would, it would be a nice little play on words, but anywho, Hukaru Shida hit the nightcap on Marina Shafir to win the match, and she did this to send a message to Soraya, because Hukaru Shida has to face Soraya for the AEW Women's Championship on this upcoming week's episode 
of AEW Dynamite, which they're entitling Title Tuesday. So we have that next week on Dynamite, but that was your AEW Rampage uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I get out of here, two things I want to mention. Before I get into the Fastlane predictions, I want to mention this. It has been talked about on the internet. It's been talked about online. People are mentioning it, saying there's reports. Again, I don't like talking about internet fodder, like of reports here or there. I like whenever it's confirmed by the either professional or the company itself. But this one, again, as everything else that I would mention and I make exception for, this one is big. Um, right now, there are talks of WWE and CM Punk having talks with each other, and it's a possibility that CM Punk could go back to WWE. Now, with that information or the quote-unquote reporting coming out, you see a lot of people basically either making fun of CM Punk, calling him a hypocrite, and you've seen people cheering CM Punk and can't wait for him to go back to WWE, even though knowing about Punk's history with WWE, the bad blood, all that type of stuff. I'm going to say this. If Punk goes back to WWE, I'm not going to hate it. I'm not going to call him a hypocrite because the old adage rings true. Time heals old wounds. And sometimes you want to get at a former boss or even former bosses. It's Punk's scenario with the Bucks and the management system in AEW. I think Punk might do that just out of pure spite from time to time. And he might. this might be a pure uh, spiteful move. Even though Punk probably made amends with certain individuals. Because there was video of Punk literally being in the parking lot. Uh, when Raw was at a, uh, I don't know if it was Pittsburgh or um, Chicago, I have no idea. Punk was in the parking lot there. There was reports saying that he was in the building talking to certain people in the back that were his friends. I know there was a video of him talking to Tamina, and Tamina had to like move away from Punk in the parking lot. And like I said, that video's out there. You can see that yourself. But Punk going back to WWE, it won't be a bad thing. I think people will be astonished by it. I think people will call Punk a hypocrite as they're doing now. But I don't think Punk cares. And I don't think anybody really cares, to be honest with you. People can say the same thing about Cody Rhodes, what Cody has said. But people might make the uh, difference by saying, well, Cody was upset because he never got used. While Punk, he got used, but um, he just went out crying and everything else. Listen, Punk got fired on his wedding day. Punk had a whole thing with WWE medical staff and all that type of crap. And it was different ownership like people owning it owning it differently now with wwe technically being under uh a umbrella with ufc under the endeavor group or better known as tko now there might be new people technically running it as a whole and i and i don't think wwe will have a problem with cm punk coming back let me make that perfectly clear and also i would like to say this you're not going to hear me slander aew or call punk a hypocrite neither with this because, again, time heals all wounds. He was able to talk to certain people, so that's that. And also, I don't think Punk should go out of his way to slander AEW, to be honest with you, when he goes back to WWE. Do I think he's going to make some jabs? Of course. But do I think he should slander them? No. Because if it wasn't for AEW trying to grab Punk back into the WWE wrestling sphere, I don't think we would have seen Punk back in the wrestling uh, sphere as of right now. I don't think we would have Punk there. Cause Punk was gone for so many years. And he came back with AEW. You can listen to Punk talk about him coming back. Why he chose AEW in 2021. And you can hear the passion in his voice. And I think with him going back to AEW. It relit his passion for the professional wrestling business. 
going in there and wanting to work with individuals in the wrestling business. Again, I'm not going to like slander AEW for that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be like, oh my God, AEW lost their biggest thing that, oh my God, they should feel. No, they had their time with Punk. It worked in certain aspects. It didn't work in other aspects. It is what it is. Um, I just hope that Punk doesn't really like try to bury AEW as a whole company because he got friends there and he got people there that he really loves in AEW, to be completely honest with you. And even if he does bury them, I don't think his friends are really going to care about that. I think his friends are his friends either way, no matter what. It's just one person's opinion. I just hope that Punk doesn't bury AEW, to be honest with you, because that would just look wrong, at least in my eyes. Because again, management is one thing, but the company as a whole, I think is wrong. And I think Punk and Tony Khan probably have a good relationship, even though this is what had to be said on Tony's behalf, but him being quote-unquote afraid. Again, that's one person's opinion. Everybody's kind of different in this business of wrestling. Um, one person's afraid is another person's. It's another Sunday or Saturday whenever that even occurred. Anywho, Punk, if he goes back to WWE, that'd be great. We'll have to wait and see. If he doesn't, hey, he just doesn't. This just was reporting. Or this could be a swerve and he's going back to AEW. Again, we have seen crazier things happen in the wrestling world, but we'll have to wait and see with that. But I just want to talk about that little thing that's happening right now. Now, moving away from that, talking about Fastlane and giving my predictions. First and foremost, the triple threat match for the WWE Women's Championship. EOS got defending her title against Asuka and Charlotte. I think EOS retaining. I don't know who's going to like get the person that's like eating the pinfall, whether it be Charlotte or Asuka. If I had it my way, uh, I think Charlotte... Kind of took the, well, hold up. Mm. You know, I will say Charlotte here. I think Charlotte should lose to EO because it'll bring up EO more. But if EO beats Asuka, I don't think people's going to, well, I think people's going to have a complaint about it, but I won't care because Asuka knows what Asuka's doing. Asuka's going over to NXT to go against uh, Roxanne Perez, so she'll be able to get a win back there or put up a hell of a match with Roxanne there that people won't truly care about this uh, match or at least Asuka eating the loss there if she does eat the loss. But EO Sky is retaining her women's championship. So it builds on more of the uh EO and Bailey confrontation. And it's coming soon between those two. Six man tag match, LWO, Rey Mysterio, and Santos and the mystery partner going against Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits. I think the mystery partner is going to be Carlito, but I think Bobby and the Street Profits are still going to win the match, to be honest with you. Um, the Street Profits, they need to prove themselves to Bobby. They need to show their ruthless side. And they need to get the job done and be able to pull the trigger when they need to pull the trigger. So I think Bobby and the Street Profits are going to win the match against the LWO. John Cena, LA Knight going against the Bloodline. I think it's John and LA Knight. And I think that's just going to add more fuel to the flame when the Bloodline does lose. And we get Roman Reigns basically like laying into them on SmackDown. Because Jimmy Uso, he's been acting really cocky, really arrogant, acting like he's the Tribal Chief or a mini version of the Tribal Chief since Roman Reigns has been gone and Jimmy's been trying to get back in the blow line. So again, LA Knight, John Cena winning, and they would get the backlash of Jimmy Uso and Solo uh, getting ripped apart by Roman on SmackDown. Uh, the World Heavyweight Championship, last man standing match, no, I'll say that last. The tag team titles... The Judgment Day, Finn Balor and Priest going against Cody and Jay. Finn and Priest, that's a foregone conclusion. 
you taking the titles off of Finn and Priest putting it on Cody and Jay, that would be a crazy look. But again, we're in professional wrestling. Crazier things have happened. But I think they're going to keep it with Finn and Priest, to be completely honest with you. Now, off to main event. Last man standing match, Shinsuke Nakamura going against Seth Rollins. I'm going with Shinsuke Nakamura. I had a little debate with myself just a few minutes ago, whether it be Seth or Nakamura, and I thought about it. Nakamura should win the championship because Seth Rollins, he's held it since like June, July, and I think it was June because Money Bank was in July. Um, Seth has did what he can do with that World Heavyweight Championship. He's tried it. It's been tried. It is what it is with that. If Nakamura holds the World Heavyweight Championship, one, Nakamura could try to build himself up along with the World Heavyweight Championship. That's one. Two, Seth Rollins and Shinsuke Nakamura, they could do a rubber match. And I don't care what nobody says. Everybody likes a rubber match in professional wrestling. Unless the whole trilogy has been trash. But the way that Nakamura has been presented with him speaking Japanese and his promos, the way that he's been getting at Seth Rollins, the way that he has been getting at Seth's back, I don't think people have a problem if Nakamura wins this, to be completely honest. And I think people want Nakamura to win a world championship in WWE. It's been begging for for many years. And with them kind of revitalizing and trying to reinvigorate Nakamura's character the way they've been doing for this month and uh, last month, I think him winning the World Heavyweight Championship here, I think it will help him. So I'm going with Nakamura. Again, I could be extremely wrong and Seth could win this. But I think it would help Nakamura out. And I think having Nakamura win will also help out that World Heavyweight Championship as well. So those are my Fastlane predictions. You'll hear about the Fastlane review tomorrow on Sunday along with my Sunday episode. So you're getting two episodes tomorrow on Sunday. And yeah, I think that's it. So with that, that has been your Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Presented by my Two Cents Podcast. Hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I want you guys to have a great Saturday. If you guys haven't noticed it, you guys need to tune into Fastlane tonight. But if you don't, again, I will be talking about it tomorrow with my review of the show. So again, with that, have a great Saturday. I love you all. I'll speak to you guys soon.